Hello, and welcome to Line One, Your Health Connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Approximately one in eight couples are affected by infertility in the United States. That's about 6.7 million people who have trouble conceiving each year, and this number is increasing. Infertility is generally and loosely defined as an inability to get pregnant after one year or more of unprotected intercourse. A reproductive endocrinologist is a physician specialist who provides advanced infertility procedures. In Alaska, however, we must travel out of state for this treatment. Fortunately, we do have providers well-versed in infertility to bridge this gap and provide much-needed evaluation and treatment options within the state of Alaska, as well as a coordination of care with out-of-state physicians and facilities. Joining us today is one such provider, Ms. Rayanne Christofferson. She is a board-certified family nurse practitioner who specializes in all aspects of fertility care. Prior to pursuing her master's degree in nursing, she worked alongside a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist where her passion for infertility care grew. She is now the owner of Full Moon Fertility and Reproduction LLC in Anchorage. Ms. Christofferson, welcome. Thank you, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you. And you can also join our conversation. Have you struggled with infertility? Do you have questions about the evaluation of infertility? Have you had success with treatments for infertility? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 550-8433, 550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Now, you've asked that I call you Rayanne, right? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm so happy to have you here. You're our first or my first in-studio expert guest in more than a year. So I was happy that you were also vaccinated and could come in and join me here in person. I feel very honored and happy to be here and that we could gather safely Gather together. safely, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, let's get to know you and how your passion for fertility and reproductive care developed. So I finished my undergrad in nursing in 2007. Prior to that, I had attended massage school or massage therapy school in Maui. Oh, nice. Very nice. Uh, I I think everyone should do that at some point in their life. But I uh, wasn't quite ready to hit university when I graduated high school. So I went to massage therapy school. I came home and started my RN program here in Anchorage. And at that time, I was doing massage at a local women's health clinic for um, women and um, specifically OB massage, as well as looking at starting an infant massage program um, at that facility. Um, So I did get to a point where my nursing uh, studies Uh, were needing more of my time. So I ended up putting all of my time into nursing, um, having left that uh, women's health massage um, position and finished my undergrad in 2007. And it wasn't until about 2012 that I was introduced to 
infertility care and reproductive medicine. And again, I um, found myself after working at the hospital as a registered nurse for several years, I found myself back in the same clinic and working alongside uh, Dr. Ursula Balthazar, a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist who was here for a pretty short stint um, of time. And this was the time when I really uh, felt a passion for fertility care. I was seeing individuals that I knew on our schedule. Um, I was entering a time in my life where my husband and I were talking about starting a family. And that talk went from, hey, we know we want to have kids to we should probably start trying um, because there are limitations to that. The way that Ursula uh, saw her patients, to me, uh, that was a big part of the drive to continue my education, not only my master's degree program as a family nurse practitioner, but to also reach out to some of the IVF clinics we had relationships with down in Seattle to shadow. So at one point during my master's program or one of the summers, I uprooted my husband and then um, two-year-old to Seattle. And we spent a summer down in Seattle, downtown Seattle, and uh, Tor and our son Hokan would go hike during the day. And I would go up to Pacific Northwest Fertility and shadow a nurse practitioner and the physicians there. And from there, my passion grew and grew and grew. I just could not absorb enough uh, about fertility care. The following summer, I ended up down in Monterey, California, doing an extensive ultrasound uh, program because I wanted to mirror the continuity of care mm -hmm. that was presented to me as an RN working alongside an REI, so reproductive endocrinologist, infertility specialist. Um, and I wanted to be able to offer that, that, you know, okay, you're going to see me, we're going to do your evaluation, I'm going to do your ultrasound, we're going to have this plan of care, and, you know, we're going to walk your journey together. Uh, so since then, um, I've been in private practice and uh, working within a women's health clinic and then also um, on our military base and continuing to specialize in women's health and infertility and really provide Alaskans with a, a resource to care that just really is limited here in Anchorage and, and in Alaska. And I've continued to maintain those relationships down in Seattle and Texas and really with any facility uh, that patients may um, connect with for IVF uh, or specialized care outside of state um, so that we can facilitate their care um, here in Anchorage. And it's just been in this early year that I have branched out and am now in a solo provider practice with Full Moon Fertility and Reproduction. And for me, this is, you know, a, a longtime goal and it's continuing to grow and it's continuing to um, fuel that passion that I have. So impressive. It seems that everything really came full circle for you. You put the time in to really evaluate where you wanted your life to take you and it brought you right back home 
So you're from Anchorage? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I'm originally from Anchorage. My parents uh, immigrated from Canada, um, which... Far. <laughs> right. Exactly. So, um, you know, they came to Alaska in the early 80s. Um, they both uh, gained American citizenship. And we... Yeah, my mom is a nurse uh, locally. Um, my dad is here and works in air cargo, um, although he's retired. I have siblings in Washington and in the state. But yeah, my, my roots are here. They're dug deep. My boy's dad, his family's from here too. So we have a lot of support with grandparents um, and family. And really true Alaskans. Yes, 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 for sure. Well, off and on in the past, as you mentioned, we've had advanced infertility services offered within our state. Uh, and since living here for the last six years, I've learned of a primary care physician that actually performed advanced procedures. I've learned um, there's a very well-known nurse practitioner group uh, that, now retired, that performed evaluations and treatments. And also, as you mentioned, the reproductive endocrinology physician uh, worked here for a short time. What do you think is the issue with having full-time infertility care here? Can you provide some insight on why it's difficult to have perhaps a REI specialist within yes. our state? Yes, you bring up a, a good point um, there. So we certainly have a population of individuals and couples that benefit from fertility and reproductive care here in Alaska. Um, Joy Zimmerman Golden mm -hmm. um, set, uh, set a pretty high bar and really facilitated most of the infertility care, if not all of it, for years and years. Um, she is an amazing practitioner and individual. Um, she definitely has some big shoes to fill um, uh, for any any provider coming into our community uh, to practice fertility. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Ursula Balthazar, and for her, you know, she was uh, tied on to a spouse who was in the um, Air Force, and so that time, you know, uh, had had an end and uh, a date end, but. You know, even though there are couples and individuals that would benefit from fertility care here, uh, that population, like our Alaska population, is not very big compared to the rest of the country. So Alaska as a whole is, is very large, but the population really isn't. And if you look at the cost for an andrologist, an embryologist, um, the cost of support staff and equipment to uh, process um, specimens or, you know, cryopreserve specimens. There's a lot of money that goes into that. And I really, one of the things I think is that we don't have the means for that here in Alaska or the population to facilitate it. So it is a little bit more cost effective for individuals and couples to seek their IVF care out of state. Uh, and for facilities to um, maintain their clinics out of state. There are abilities to do telemedicine, and that has grown significantly during our COVID pandemic. Right. So patients who do seek care from a, an REI outside of state do have an opportunity to decrease the amount of time and travel and money they spend to go out of state uh, for care. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
That makes a lot of sense that the population, even though it may seem that there is a high incidence of infertility, we just don't have that population to support not only the specialist, but there's several other specialists that also need to be involved in this work. So a lot of times we're not thinking of the many other factors that would go into supporting this field. So where are you getting your support from? So as far as my practice uh, goes, what I offer individuals, I am trained in diagnosis and treatment of infertility, um, as well as uh, being able to facilitate any satellite monitoring that they may have with one of these IVF clinics. So what does that mean for an individual? Um, An individual or couple can certainly seek out care at an out-of-state IVF clinic Uh, It can be very overwhelming to do on your own. Um, You ultimately end up with several procedures that are time sensitive that need to be facilitated. Majority of folks will end up with a big box of medications that, you know, aren't um, aren't intuitive to use. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, the facilities Really, these the IVF clinics out of state, they do such a great job for uh, on teaching and education and um, just outreach for patients that are seeking IVF or going through it. And they haven't they don't have a provider here. Um, a big thing for me with uh, doing the satellite monitoring is you know, taking some of that stress and anxiety away from the patients. Um, Oftentimes I'll have their meds delivered to me and we'll do injection teaching or medication teaching in the office and I'll lay them out so that they aren't overwhelmed by this big box of what needs to go where, what am I going to do with this needle? Where does this go? Uh, I, which goes, what goes in the fridge? And you know, being able to have a provider to be able to order the time-sensitive diagnostic testing and just provide a, a shoulder to cry on, uh, an ear to listen, and to know that you're, you're there and you're a part of their experience and their journey as they're navigating their um, family planning because it's very overwhelming. Um, individuals have you know, tried multiple things prior to reaching the point of needing IVF. It's a mental, physical, financial stressor. And if there's any way as a provider to alleviate any of that, that's that's my goal. Um, in addition to, you know, running fertility cycles with patients, IVF monitoring, um, I also have uh, – and I'm continuing to grow relationships with the University of Washington, the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for fertility preservation. Um, we have a great cancer care navigators at Providence. Um, I've worked with um, Kelly Smarts, one of the social workers there, and she's very passionate about fertility preservation and oncofertility. Um, and so just being able to bring some of those resources uh you know, to just one person or to providers to know, hey, I have this situation, this patient, you know, needs fertility preservation in whatever manner that looks like. Okay, I can t- contact so-and-so. I can contact Rayanne and she can help facilitate this. Because when you're faced with something like fertility preservation because of a diagnosis that'll hinder your ability to reproduce, 
uh, time is the biggest anxiety, the biggest factor there. And so if you can take that off of somebody's plate and say, okay, I'm going to work with your oncologist. I'm going to work with your provider. I've already, you know, made this connection. We're, you know, we're going to get you either out of state or get you the things you need to so we can start that process. That's excellent, Rayanne. And we will get into more of IVF, which is in vitro fertilization and fertility preservation. And before we go that far, let's start with some basics and let's just talk about uh, reproduction. And we have to make clear that there are so many things that have to go perfect at just the right time in order to conceive a baby. So maybe you can talk to us about those basic steps of conception and then we're going to move into when that doesn't work. What does that look like? Sounds good. So we've all probably heard about the birds and the bees, Mm -hmm. Um, but what are the birds and the bees and which comes first, right? The chicken or the egg? So when I am talking to patients or clients, you know, I often will draw a picture and that picture is going to be a uterus, fallopian tubes, and it's going to be ovaries. There'll be a cervix there, and I'm by no means any kind of artist. The picture turns out to be the same each time. Um, But, you know, our brain communicates with our uterus and our ovaries, and on a monthly basis within kind of a textbook or normal cycle, um, you know, woman's brain should be communicating with both of those things in order to... Uh, produce a mature egg to thicken the lining of the uterus uh, with the hope that that egg will ovulate and be fertilized by semen um, in the fallopian tube and travel into the uh, uterus Mm -hmm. and um, implant into the endometrial lining. So does that always happen and when, when does that happen? So Uh, A lot of times when individuals come in, I try to educate them and ask them, you know, what's your cycle day one? When was your last menstrual period? And that, you know, isn't something that everybody relates to, even if it's just the language that is used. So it's worthwhile knowing like cycle day one in your menstrual cycle is the day of actual flow. It's not the spotting before. It's the day that you're actually needing to use some protection, whether it's a pad or a tampon. And that is kind of our number one day where we can kind of count the first out. Day. Yep, the first day. So what does that first day give us? Well, it gives us an opportunity to calculate out when we might be able to see by doing diagnostic testing, labs, uh, if the brain and the uterus and ovaries are connected, are connected <laughs> and communicating Um when we can best look at the uterus um, inside, so or at a in a three D view, so you know this isn't the greatest picture, but it gives you a visual. So you know the uterus itself, uh, you could imagine as this like almost a deflated balloon, uh, the most beautiful balloon that you'll ever see. Very right? valuable yes, balloon. Yes, yes, a very valuable you know respected balloon, um, and. Uh, so, you know, we, we at times need to know and see what's inside um, of the uterus and get it to this like 3D view. So that cycle day one lets us know when we can perform these more invasive diagnostic procedures um, all the way up into finding out when somebody may be ovulating, um, which is an easy, can be an easy calculation or it can be 
assessed um, with ovulation testing, changes in mucus, um, temperature, things like that. So the first thing I like to do is kind of find out a history of someone's cycle. Absolutely. So important. And we will have to take a break. But before that, can you just tell us what is infertility? So infertility, if we look at what the defined definition of infertility is, the inability to conceive after six months of actively trying for an individual 35 years or older, or after one year, 12 months of actively trying for someone under the age of 35. Now, when we come back from our break, I'll go into why that might not apply um, as a you know, definitive um, diagnosis, uh, excuse me, or um, why we aren't always sticking to that define or definition of infertility. Okay, that sounds good. Well, you're listening to Line One, Your Health Connection. If you have a question or comment for our guest today, give us a call statewide at 1-888-353-5752. 1-888-353-5752 or an anchorage at 550-8433. After this short break, we will continue our discussion of treating infertility in Alaska with nurse practitioner Ms. Rayanne Christofferson as Line 1 continues statewide. Line 1, your health connection comes to you from Alaska Public Media and is made possible with support from Providence Imaging Center, committed to the well-being of Alaskans, staff, and the community since 1986. provimaging.com Welcome back to Line One, your health connection on Alaska Public Media. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. I'm joined by guest Ms. Rayanne Christofferson, who is a board-certified family nurse practitioner that specializes in infertility evaluation and management at Full Moon Fertility Care and Reproduction in Anchorage. Are you trying to decide whether an infertility evaluation is right for you? Have you experienced infertility care within Alaska or out of state and are willing to share your story? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752, 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 550-8433, 550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Rianne, before the break, you discussed infertility and the diagnosis of after 35 years old, uh, inability to conceive after six months, before 35, inability to conceive after 12 months, and you alluded to some other causes or other types of infertility. Yeah, so what I would just say is with that definition, to give some give some grace. So even if an individual has been trying for six months or six months or 12 months, there are other things 
that might not be going on. There might be some irregularities to the menstrual cycle. There could be some male factor. There could have been conception and then losses. So even though we have that definition in place, we need to look at the individual's whole picture to really see if there's something that we can address outside of that defined window. Right. So a diagnosis of infertility could be given to someone who's experienced uh, multiple miscarriages. Right. That's correct. So uh, that, too, should be looked at uh, with some grace as well. So recurrent pregnancy loss you know, is defined and has been defined as uh, two or more uh, losses. And at times we have seen the definition be four or more losses. So, you know, statistics do support that after somebody does have a miscarriage that they're more likely to conceive a healthy pregnancy following, but not all individuals fall into that category. So I would definitely suggest it's worth looking into if somebody has had a pregnancy, has had two or more pregnancy losses. And you also mentioned earlier part of that diagnosis of, um, or part of the evaluation, what does a basic evaluation entail and does it differ based on the type of infertility you suspect? Right. So we learn quite a bit about an individual or couples with just taking a thorough medical history. I always start with the uh, menstrual cycle, surgical, or uterine instrumentation history, if they've had any STIs, and then, of course, like sexual function. Uh, It's very important to also get a thorough evaluation of the male partner. Male factor uh, does actually contribute 35 to 40 percent of infertility for couples. And throughout the initial workup, I often get patients that are very concerned you know, that uh, they're going to have this diagnosis and then they're going to have this, um, you know, financial burden. But when you're looking at an initial evaluation, we're investigating still. So there will likely be something that comes out in their medical history that kind of is a light bulb effect for me and can kind of lead me into the direction of what diagnostic testing we should get or what what ways they can change their practices so that they can increase their opportunity to conceive. Well, it's commonly assumed that men can conceive at any age without difficulty, but uh, you've sent me some literature and literature I've read in the past shows me that this is not exactly true. So, yes, men and women both... uh, I don't they there's definitely more of a timeline or a window for women um, to have higher chances of conceiving. Men also have a decrease in their fertility. It's just not as soon as uh, as us um, as as women. We um, definitely have as we age our eggs age um, when we ovulate or have a menstrual cycle. We're not just ovulating one egg. We may have one egg that's dominant in that mature egg that could produce a pregnancy, but we also have um, other eggs that uh, rise to the occasion and are lost during a menstrual cycle. So 
um, you know, another uh, myth, too, to just speak about with ovulation is that sometimes the thought is we ovulate from our right side one month and we ovulate from our left side the other month. But you can actually ovulate from your right multiple times or your left ovary multiple times. So um, it's not a, you know, your turn, my turn, left, right, left, right situation. But um, yeah, men do have a, a decrease in their ability due to age as well, but it's more uh, the, the female partner that we see age uh, as a factor. Playing a larger role. Mm-hmm. Well, Rayanne, we have a caller, Faustine from Fairbanks, that has a question about fertility treatment. Faustine, welcome to Line One. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Um, I have a couple of questions. One is, um, so I, un- I I did a three IVF uh, cycles that completely failed uh, fairly recently, and the the initial cause was uh, tubal problems. But um, it became clear that my eggs don't mature in the process, and so even though I was on well to stimulation. Um, there's a complete failure or almost total of, of maturation of, of the eggs harvested. Um, do you have any experience with that? And is it, does it mean that she just give up? And the second is um, the status of lack of coverage in healthcare system for infertility treatment. If you can speak to that a little bit, because it's not really acceptable in my opinion. Thank you, Faustine. Those are great, great questions and uh, ways to help us to get the information out there. I'm sorry to hear about those cycles that weren't successful. Rianne, do you have anything to share with Faustine? Faustine, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to call. And you know, I am I am sorry to hear that that's that's a big loss um, to to overcome. And one of the things that comes to mind is if there was any uh, genetic testing um, on your embryos um, or if they just weren't developing um, into viable embryos during your cycles. And then as far as the financial relief for fertility treatment, I generally like to have um, clients check out resolve.org. So resolve is the national is the National Infertility Association. And they have a, a great link uh, on financial relief for fertility treatment. So there's uh, grants, there's scholarships, there's even as far as embryo donations that um, do take place. We have a lot of individuals who have done their, family planning, and they've either used their embryos or haven't used their embryos or have had extra, and those actually can end up being um, donated. And so I would certainly check out resolve.org to see if there's anything underneath their financial relief for fertility treatment that uh, might uh, meet some of your needs. I remember when I lived in New York, they had grant money for New York residents, if you were having issues with fertility, you could apply for these grants. I have seen online that there were some national programs, like you mentioned, like that, where you could apply, but it's based on it's based on your financial situation and your need. Uh, and as far as when to give up, Faustine, that is something only you can answer. So difficult. I myself think of in vitro fertilization really. It may be terrible to say, but as a, a, a game, like a um, 
gambling in Vegas, you know, lands on red or black. And my thought is at some point it's going to land on my color, but you, it's super expensive. It's super time consuming and so emotionally draining that only you can answer that question of um, when it's enough is enough with you. I think though also getting second opinions and third opinions are very helpful. So if they first, you know, you had two tubal factor problem with your fallopian tubes, and then later they thought, um, you know, you weren't forming your your eggs appropriately or forming embryos. Um, I think that, like she mentioned, the genetic testing is a great idea. Uh, getting a second opinion, even from the same a different provider at the same practice or from the original provider, to see what your next step is, would be a good idea for you. And I wish you all the success. Thank you so much for for calling us. Rayanne, that's such a difficult thing because it is such an expense to do infertility treatments. Have you found in this, in Alaska, that there is some insurance coverage for any portion? So when you're doing an initial workup for infertility, you're often not landing on an infertility diagnosis. You're landing on uh, amenorrhea, someone who's not having um, a menstrual cycle. You're landing on hypothyroidism. So your thyroid's important for maintaining ovulation. Um, It's also important for maintaining a healthy pregnancy and fetal development. So as far as diagnosis and diagnosis codes that go along with these billing aspects, uh, a lot of insurance companies will cover up until we found a specific infertility diagnosis code. And a lot of insurances limit their coverage there. Um, there is a program that you can purchase or that's offered, one that I've specifically um, been uh, speaking with a client about is called Progeny, and that's part of a uh, it's it's a fertility and infertility uh, coverage package that can be purchased. I don't know the full details on how someone goes about uh, getting that insurance, but it's specific to IVF and the medications that are involved. You know, what we can do as providers and as individuals is stay informed. So Alaska is not one of the states that mandates fertility coverage. So we do have bills in Congress. One is Access to Infertility Treatment and Care Act. And if that was to be passed in Congress, then it would require all insurances that offer obstetric care to provide the same coverage for infertility care. The unfortunate thing about these bills that need to be passed in Congress is they can sit there for quite some time We have a two-year period of time where bills need to be passed uh, in in Congress. So every two years, these bills that may have been sitting here, like the Access to Infertility Treatment and Care Act, uh, this isn't the first time it's been sitting in Congress in the introduction stage. Um, It was there last year. It was there the year before. So it just gets moved forward and forward, and the hope is that it gets enough support in Congress to be passed There's also bills that could use our support for advocating for, for our veterans, 
for veterans services, for infertility um, as well. So I've worked with TRICARE, and TRICARE will cover up to a portion. Um, they don't cover for assisted reproductive technology. Which would be IVF. Yep, so mm -hmm. IVF. They even consider insemination mm -hmm. They're a, an ART procedure. But they do cover medications, um, which is very helpful. Very helpful. Yes, very helpful because those are very expensive. But this, there is a, 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 an act in Congress for veterans that is similar to this infertility treatment uh, act that I uh, spoke about that would provide coverage for our veterans similar to what's covered for obstetric care. Excellent. So stay informed. And if this bill is something that you support, then we need to make sure that your support is known. And the more support something gets, it will move to the front at some point. Well, Rayanne, we have another caller. This is Heidi from Anchorage, and she wants to talk about fertility testing. Welcome to Line 1, Heidi. Hi. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, a lot of couples are waiting longer uh, and later to start their um, family planning and then also feeling like they don't have months and years to try and try again and then start the infertility treatments and keep trying. Um, what kind in terms of assessment and di diagnosis and, and testing, um, what do you recommend or services do you provide for those older couples that kind of want to get an assessment of what their starting point is before they even go down an infertility journey to see what their likelihood is of conceiving or if there's any problems just so they can be I guess, lack of a better description, more efficient with their time and their resources. And I can take my answer off the air. Okay, thank you, Heidi. That's a really great question. And Rianne, start with how do you feel about you know evaluation of your fertility before there's a problem? Yeah, so I think that if somebody has questions, they might be asking themselves, they might be asking a friend, they might be asking family members. If you have a thought in your mind and questions that you have about your ability to conceive, whether it's the process, whether it's your age, whether it's just learning more information, that's the time to start. If a, if a client is in the office and they're inquiring about their ability to conceive, we as providers can start a general workup at that time. It's easy for us to order labs to check their ovarian reserve. It's easy for us to check their thyroid function and then talk to them about what their family planning goals are. If an older individual is coming in and they haven't started their family and are just starting, but they want to have two or three children, we need to take that into consideration. That doesn't give us a good opportunity for time to send them home and have them try on their own for another six to 12 months. You know, that's a time where we can say, okay, these are your family planning goals. This is what it looks like or could look like to, to conceive, and then you're pregnant and postpartum. So that really needs to be taken into consideration. And, you know, as providers, I think that if a if a client is in our office and they're asking questions, there is something that we can do at that time. So to answer your question, 
any time is a good time. Um, if you're wondering, you know, what your uh, timelines are as far as starting your family, where you're at, um, I would definitely not suggest you know, coming in and getting an idea of what your ovarian reserve might be and then waiting longer. Right. Um, but overall, assessing your health as a whole and just making sure that things are functioning in a normal way and discussing, like, how do you conceive? You know, I, even in my specialty, am going back to those birds and the bees. Like, this is how we conceive. This is what a menstrual cycle is. This is what ovulation is. This is how you need to time your intercourse. Because I'll tell you, statistics say if you just have sex the day that you ovulate, you have a 0% chance of conceiving. It's all about the pre-ovulatory intimacy. You know, two to three days prior, that's your prime time. But, you know, we're not given that information uh, a lot of the time. So going back to the basics and having that, you know, groundwork put in place and assessing kind of your overall health. But, yeah, at any time, I would say any time if your questions come up and you're having those, then you should you should seek seek some advice from your provider. Absolutely. Well, the rates of infertility are rising and somewhat due to the fact that women and men of advancing age are desiring conception. But what are some of the other contributing factors that rise that lead to this rising rate? Are there environmental toxins or lifestyle choices that are contributing to this issue? Certainly, you bring up a great point. So, you know, age, lifestyle, those are all contributing to our fertility. Uh, you know, even past um, physical trauma and ailments. Um, if you get on, you know, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, um, you know, there's information on how to conceive, and there's also information about um, what to avoid um, and how to maintain, you know, a healthy lifestyle. So, you know, one would think that it's common sense to make sure you're hydrated, exercising, uh, maintain, you know, a normal um, body weight, you know, don't smoke, don't use recreational, um, you know, substances. Uh, but we do have these influences. Um, we have toxins uh, in our water and our water bottles, mm-hmm. you know, right. all over. So just being aware. Um, and those are affecting fertility? They can affect mm-hmm. fertility. Yeah. So over time, um, I think that we're in a day and age where we're finding out more and more we have advances in science and our abilities to kind of fine tune and dig into everything. So I do advise my patients to try to live their normal life, make sure that they have a a healthy lifestyle through diet and exercise. I often will tell them that, you know, to not worry about what they should should be avoiding, say, in pregnancy um, until we're there. You know, there's so much that we want to control that sometimes letting go is 
is a, a good way um, to be able to let things kind of happen. Which is so difficult. We never want to let go. Right. We want to be in control, yes, especially yes. of ourselves and what's happening. But sometimes you have to um, let someone else take the wheel. Yes, exactly. But, you know, infertility doesn't discriminate. Um, infertility can affect anyone um, at any time. And, you know, so going back to that that question earlier, when should you seek care? And if it's on your mind, that's the time that, you know, you should seek care. Sometimes we'll have individuals that will have, you know, unexplained infertility. Um, so they've um, gone through a, a, a kind of a, a workup mm-hmm. um, and, and things tend to be unexplainable. Um, but, you know, we're not necessarily checking to see what's in their water bottle. Um, right. And, and, w- and what they might be, um, you know, doing Exposed outside to. of, yeah, lifestyle. Well, thank you for that great information. Uh, we're going to take another short break for the stations down the line. If you have a question or comment for our guest today, give us a call statewide at one 353 5752 or in Anchorage at 550-8433. We'll continue our discussion on treating infertility in Alaska when we return. You're listening to Line 1, Your Health Connection on Alaska Public Media. You're listening to Line 1 from Alaska Public Media. You can find Line 1 on alaskapublic.org or wherever you get your podcasts. The Alaska State Library Talking Book Center has audiobooks and more for children and adults who are unable to read standard print. Learn more at talkingbooks.alaska.gov. This message sponsored by the Alaska Library Network. Welcome back to Line 1. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Our guest today is board-certified family nurse practitioner, Ms. Rayanne Christofferson, who is experienced and passionate about fertility and infertility care. She is the founder and owner of Full Moon Fertility and Reproduction, LLC, in Anchorage. You can also join our conversation. Are you looking for ways to preserve your fertility? Have you had side effects from fertility treatments? Call us toll-free statewide at 1-888-353-5752. 1-888-353-5752, in Anchorage at 550-8433, 550-8433, or email us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. Rianne, I definitely wanted to ask you about uh, this COVID pandemic and the COVID vaccine and whether or not that affects fertility that's, there's a big concern right now about using this in our children and, and young adults because people are thinking that it may be associated. Right. That's a big concern for a lot of people. And we are finding that it is recommended that women who are contemplating pregnancy or who are pregnant in order to minimize the risk to themselves and their pregnancy that they should receive the COVID-19 vaccination. Um, the American Society of Reproduction of Reproductive Medicine also um, supports this. Uh, the position is consistent with the 
Advisory Committee for Immunization Practices um, of the CDC and the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. So to recap, everyone should get the COVID vaccine. Everyone should get the COVID vaccination. Uh, and, you know, if you're on the fence uh, of, of getting it, you know, we, we've we come a long way. The COVID-19 is one of the, you know, coronaviruses. We have so many coronaviruses um, that we know about and have been studying for for years. So uh, it is it is supported um, when somebody is pregnant. Uh, you have uh, passive immunity to baby uh, when you get the vaccination. So you're also protecting them. Uh, but, you know, in, in the end, uh, the vaccination is recommended for women and men who are contemplating pregnancy or trying to conceive. And I would like to add on to that, that they have done studies where they look to see if the vaccine um, or, or any portions of it are going through the placental barrier. So, you know, the barrier between the mom uh, and the baby. So there is not vaccination or, or portions of it going through. But one thing that is so important to note is that the mother's antibodies pass through to the baby before and after birth. And so this could be something positive to do um, for your baby. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, also, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the financial aspect. We did have a uh, someone on social media that asked about international medical tourism and if that should be a viable option to reduce expenses. Even uh, there are opportunities to get medications from overseas that seem to be the same medication but are much less expensive. What are your thoughts on that? Right, so I think as far as the medications go, there's always a need to be cautious. But I do think these options should be considered. And if patients have the means and abilities to be seen out of the country, we should assist as much as we can. Um, I have a close uh, friend that uh, their um, daughter has cystic fibrosis, and they had not had pre, um, preconception um, genetic testing where you can actually check the blood um, of the mom to see if she's a carrier for a genetic um, disease. So they're originally from Jordan, and their plan is to return home and um, kind of continue their family planning um, overseas. Okay, so this is something that you could speak um, to your patients about. Sure. Well, Rand, we have a caller on uh, Ms. Monica from Antioch. Is that how you say wow. that? Welcome to Line 1, Monica. Hello. I was wondering about the impact of polycystic ovarian disease on fertility and um, what you can do to enhance the chances of your conceiving. And I'll take the answer offline. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Yeah, so polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS is uh, it has a quite a few um, really comorbidities attached to it. So when you're trying to conceive, a lot of times women won't be having a regular menstrual cycle. They'll ha go these long stints, forty plus days or longer in between cycles. And so one of the goals is to try to get them cycling or ovulating on a regular um, basis or once a month. So sometimes we use um, ovulation stimulation medications, oral medications, 
women with PCOS have a lot of resting eggs, and a lot of those eggs produce a lot of estrogen. So we use hypoestrogen medications to kind of calm that estrogen down so that our follicle-stimulating hormone, our brain, can communicate and start to produce um, an egg. One of the worries with not having a regular cycle, especially with somebody who's not trying to conceive, is is that the lining of the uterus begins to thicken and it actually becomes a host for estrogen, which can then turn into endometrial cancer. So we want to watch these individuals closely. And if you're not having a regular menstrual cycle and not trying to conceive, it's something to talk to your healthcare professional about so that you can get a preventative um, method in there. And then once a woman does conceive with PCOS and delivers, um, that's the time to talk about, you know, again, family planning and goals and um, also using alternative means to keep that lining nice and thin so that they aren't at a higher risk. Um, PCOS, like I said, it has a lot of different uh, angles to it, and um, uh, but it can be fairly straightforward, but it is one that does uh, present individually um, for each person. Not everybody will have the same symptoms or presentation. Absolutely. And PCOS is not uncommon, but like you said, there are so many presentations that will need different solutions. Uh, Rayanne, we also have another caller named Dee, who also has some questions about PCOS and its effects on infertility. Uh, Dee from Anchorage, welcome to line one. Hi. A lot of my questions were just answered. I just wanted to ask you about uh, interventions that you find to be helpful, and at what time do you go past uh, the drugs and maybe move on to another step? That's a great question, Ms. D. Okay, Ryan. Yeah. So, you know, when you're trying to conceive and you do end up finding out that you have uh, PCOS and a portion of that is affecting your ability to conceive, it can be managed um, in a way to increase your abilities to conceive. And once conception has taken place, um, I, I want to try to answer this in, in kind of a broad range of what, what we do. So, um, you know, when someone comes to me and they're wanting to conceive and we find out that they may have PCOS, um, there's oftentimes we use ovulation stimulation medications to get them cycling. We also use alternative progesterones, things like that. That would be a little bit more of an in-depth one-on-one conversation um, we could have. But you know, if, if all the stars aligned and you ended up conceiving, you know, having a healthy um, pregnancy, delivering, um, then an intervention that we could utilize uh, to keep like your risk down for endometrial cancer could be one of our contraceptive methods, intrauterine devices like birth or birth control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, that uh, can also be a little tricky and uh, questionable for individuals to um, to think about when they're trying to conceive uh, birth control pills. Uh, we often, you know, hear, uh, you know, that, you know, can birth control cause infertility? You know, and the answer is no. Uh, birth control pills cannot cause infertility. Um, They tend to mimic a normal um, cycle for women, and oftentimes when you do get off of a birth control pill, uh, you might have a delay in ovulation or menses, but oftentimes if you're 
cycle doesn't return or you're having abnormalities, it wasn't the birth control pill that um, could be your, you know, quote unquote normal. And right. the birth control pill could just be masking Absolutely. Um, that for you. So, you know, we often talk about preventing all taking a lot of time to prevent pregnancy and a lot of times with the use the things we use we're we're masking what what is our normal and our normal might be abnormal if that should make sense that makes a little bit of sense yeah (laughs) no uh, that makes perfect sense uh we we it's used as a treatment many times right yeah in many ways and with uh um and we use it with infertility treatment as well so we have another caller. We have Ms. Cindy from Anchorage, and we're, we have only about 30 seconds. Ms. Cindy, if you can be quick with your question, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you. Um, I would like you to, it's going to take longer than three minutes, discuss um, Asherman syndrome, what causes it, um, what the treatment is, and what the statistics are in going on to having a successful pregnancy. Okay, good question. Thank you. Yeah, so Asherman's, we see Asherman's, um, and Dr. Woodruff can speak on this as well, but uh, a lot of times, so it's scarring within the uterine cavity, uh, and a lot of times it's related to instrumentation that's been used in the uterine cavity. We can also have scarring in the uterine cavity from sexually transmitted infections that go untreated. Um but we need a cavity that is clear mm-hmm. um, and receptive. Yep, mm-hmm. and receptive to uh, a fertilized egg to implant. Um, so, treatment uh, is often with, uh, or treatment or even diagnosis is done with a diagnostic hysteroscopy, um, which can be done with uh, a local, you know, uh, gynecologist. Um, and its removal of that scar tissue. Uh, can you have that scar tissue return? Yes, you can. So your optimal time of you know, conceiving is fairly close after the recovery process from that um, procedure and can be successful. I'd, I'd have to look up what the statistics are, and I don't know if we have that time, but um, it can be successful. Um, I have seen successful pregnancies, as um, our um, host probably has as well yes. in her experience following um, uh, diagnosis and treatment of Asherman's. Yes, Cindy, what we'll do is I'll send you some information uh, via email about that. Um, but that was a really great question to bring up. Uh, infertility is a topic that we haven't addressed recently, so I'm so grateful to you, Rayanne, that you had this conversation with me. And um, I hope to have you back because there's so much that we didn't get to cover. Our thanks to our guest, Ms. Rayanne Christofferson, for being with us today. Thanks to our audio engineer, Tobin Shelby, and our producer, Ammon Swenson. You can find more information on this and previous programs on our website at alaskapublic.org. Let us know your thoughts or suggestions by emailing us at line1 at alaskapublic.org. This has been Line One, your health connection. I'm your host, Dr. Jillian Woodruff. Thank you.
Line One is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the host and participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Learn more about Line One and listen online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media.